I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And you're in the transporter room, where it's a nice, cool 68 degrees, unlike what it's like in the rest of Connecticut, which is in the mid-90s. I am dying. This is like Florida weather, Carly. No, this this went beyond Florida. This was Texas. And this is uh, Texas right here. I mean. But is it you in Texas? Really? Yes. Oh, God. Come on. It's Texas. I thought it was just Arizona that was like uh, humid free. I guess only Arizona gets that dry Mm -mm. heat. Palm Springs, the dry heat. I know I just have heat. (laughs) Well, I can tell you that, I mean, after being out on a bike ride and being on a hike and being in nature and being in nature over the last couple of days, let me tell you, it's, it's hot. It's dang hot out here. I mean, you're getting some, I mean, this is heat that I'm not used to living in New England. Well, it does I, get hot and humid here in July and August, and it is mid-July, so I guess I can't complain. But I'll tell you, getting from the couch to the fridge to get up a beer and then having to walk <laughs> all the way back to the couch and to have to, like, you know, use the cap opener to open the beer, my God, it's just, it's it's a workout. I'll bet it everything, just, just existing right now is a workout in these temperatures. I mean, never mind. Kidding. <laughs> never mind. Push, no, never mind pushing a bike. Oh, come on, getting up and going up to the fridge and doing that eighteen-inch elbow bend—that's a whole <laughs> different deal at forty degrees Celsius. I mean, I've been running good. around all day. I've been, I've been uh, helping a friend who's uh, torn her meniscus and ACL, Ooh. so she just had surgery. So she's in a lot of pain. Been been her chauffeur the last couple of days, and her right hand to help her get up and down. At, second flight of stairs um i've also been shopping for my mother-in-law i've been doing a lot of good things i've been a good girl but you know who's been very bad the people who are in charge of world rugby they are considering according to the guardian banning all trans women athletes from playing women's rugby they say it's too dangerous for cisgender athletes that women who are trans will hurt them a 20 to 30 percent greater risk of injury now, I'd like to see the numbers that show this 20 to 30% greater risk of injury. Where was, where's the experimentation? Where's the numbers coming from? Where's the documentation? Because, number one, it can't be from the field. How many players have played? You only have one directly documented case of a player actually playing the sport. <laughs> so, well, it's true. Trans men are going to get to play. But anyone assigned male at birth... According to this new uh, working group, they think that uh, athletes who are assigned male at birth are stronger by 25 to 50 percent, 30 percent more powerful, 40 percent heavier, and about 15 percent faster than players assigned female at birth. And by what number and by what stances are they coming up with these numbers? By what? Research they pulled it out of their ass, Carly. We, we have nothing. All we have <laughs> well, is a 38-page draft document that has not been revealed. It's just been reported. Well, there's a certain there's a certain person in Australia in Australia. I'd love to get their opinion on this, to tell you the truth. Thirsty Kirsty. Yes, I'd Kirsty Miller, if you're listening, yes, we're going to be talking to you about this because where are they getting these numbers from? I mean, who are coming up with the who is coming up with these numbers now? World rugby, you have to now world rugby understands that basically you've just kicked you've just you've just kicked the rugby sevens out of the Olympics with the with this. By even considering this, you you've basically told the IOC, 
we're okay with rugby not being a part of the Olympic program. And that's something that a lot of people in rugby have been looking for, a return of rugby to the Olympic Games. And they just basically just said, ah, they just stiff-armed it. And as if rugby doesn't have enough problems right now in terms of dealing with COVID. They've got a situation where they're trying to limit scrums because of COVID. A number of countries are looking, a number of countries outside of Europe are looking to, are canceling test matches for, for 2021 already because of COVID. I mean, does rugby really need this type of press right now? Especially over something that is basically numbers pulled out of thin air. I mean, the ADF couldn't have come up with better numbers than this. Well, I will tell you that like everything involving trans athletes, there's not just two sides. There are a lot of people on both sides, even trans people who oppose trans inclusion. There are cisgender allies who want to see trans athletes compete. It's a complicated issue we're not going to probably solve in this one little podcast. Another issue that once again, raising its ugly head, a female powerlifter who is saying that women's sports are for females, Beth Stelzer. Stelzer, sorry, Beth Stelzer, the founder of Save Women's Sports, misgenders women athletes who are trans throughout her op-ed in Newsweek, which I will bet you has trans women athletes up in arms. Here's one who is me. <laughs> I am. Mean, I'm, I'm just. You are say not a male. It. You are not a man. You are not a man. Well, I know this, but the thing I'm getting at is. How in the world do all these mainstream outlets give all this bandwidth and all this airtime to people who don't have who who have no research, who have no documented evidence, who have nothing except a lot of things that have been thoroughly debunked up, up, left, right, down, up, down, right, left and center. Yet. Trans women who compete. Have got a scratch, claw and fight to get their concerns out there or, or even trans men who speak out. I mean, you don't see too many of the, of these mainstream sources calling for a quote from Chris Mosier. No. And it kills me. They are misogynistic in saying things like elite high school male athletes frequently outperform female Olympians. Oh, because women are so weak. They're so weak that only only a man can win and to call us biological men. Oh, I just, I, well, I, I had trouble reading it. I honestly did. It made me sick to my stomach. I'm not surprised, but here's the thing. Number one, if you are a mainstream, if you're a media organization that uses the AP style book by your own, by the AP style book, you don't put that in there. You don't print an op-ed. So I don't know. I guess Newsweek has different rules for op-eds maybe, well, but even op-ed, but even op-eds, I mean, even in, even if in, in an op-ed, there are certain there are certain protocols and there's certain common courtesies, protocols and standards of behavior. I mean, for example, you wouldn't put the seven the seven words you can't say in an op-ed. So don't <laughs> misgender George people Carlin. in an op-ed. It's that it's that simple. You see yeah. here, but but you see again, it goes back to a main these mainstream sources, be it be it TV, be it magazines, be it wherever. They are more than happy to give people like Save Women Sports, uh, you know, they're, will, they're willing to give these mouthpieces that are funded by organizations in this country, which have never 
stood for anything regarding women's rights ever or any other human rights for that matter. And they're more than willing to give them this bandwidth, but they're not willing to give trans people any bandwidth. For example, when's the last time you've seen Chase Strangio in anything resembling a mainstream media outlet? Only, this when, one the, the, only when the Supreme Court decided, only when the Supreme Court made its decision. But but even so, no one's I mean, no one's gonna give him much bandwidth. No one's giving Chris Mosier a lot of play. No, no, no. We are always put at the side. If anything, we're brought in as the tokens and we are paraded about like a little dog and pony show, but we're not treated like regular guests or regular commentators. When was the last time you had somebody who was trans interviewed about a topic that wasn't about gender rights or gender activism? That's <sighs> a good question. It's been at least I mean the last time I saw the last time I saw that honestly was in was when Melissa Harris Perry was doing her show on MSNBC. Yeah, true enough. Well, Monday night, Joy Reid started a new show on MSNBC, and she's become quite an ally of the LGBT community. So I'm hoping the readout will continue that tradition of having LGBT guests, as well as people of color, predominant as guests on her t- new show. It's going to be a really exciting adventure. You know what's also exciting? Maybe a little well, scary. Well, exciting. Being inside what? the bubble, the wobble, the WNBA bubble in Bradenton, Florida, outside of Tampa. Oh, I got to tell you, it's pretty scary down there. They've had a couple of athletes who uh, have not been able to join the team. There's one prominent athlete who wants to play, but she asked for an exemption because she has chronic Lyme disease. We're talking about Elena Deladon, and we're still waiting for her to make a decision because basically the WNBA and its Players uh, Association had a panel of doctors who looked over her physics and her physicalities and her disease and said, nope, you can't opt out. You have to play. I was a little bit surprised by that decision. So was she. <laughs> I was I was a little bit surprised by that decision. Uh, this, I mean, well, this player is one of your marquee players in this league. She's the this MVP is, from 2019 for the whole league. She yes. played with three herniated discs in her back. But here's the deal. The Washington Mystics, to their credit, said, we will pay you whether you play or not. So that's good. And her coach said on Sunday that they don't expect her to play. But we're still waiting. We'll see. Did you read that op-ed she wrote in the, uh, in the Players' Tribune? Yes, I did. And Quite moving. 64 pills a day? Oh, my God. I mean... There've been there've been some. I mean, there's not been many athletes that's dealt with the things she she's dealt with. I mean, the only other athlete I know of directly who has dealt with the level of chronic illness that Elena's done to play is Michelle Akerstall, mm. and that was and she had a very similar condition to what Elena Deladon had. And no, this is no joke here. Coronavirus. I, she gets coronavirus. I mean, that's. And that's that's a, I mean, it's already a life threatening situation for Elena Deladon, but now you're dealing with I mean, you're just pushing her that much closer to the margin by exposing her to something like this. And I'm a little bit surprised that the WNBA took a, such a hard line that they did on this one, especially since I mean, this play I mean, you don't want to take a hard line on any player in this situation. It doesn't matter whether they're on the reserve team or they're a superstar, but Elena Deladon is one of your marquee draws. She's a reason people buy tickets and you're yeah, treating her true. this way. I mean, if I was any player in the WNBA, I'd be, I'd be looking, remember this is the same league that four months ago 
in that so put their put their signatures along with their players union on the dotted line on probably one of the most on the most forward thinking collective bargaining agreement probably in the history of professional sports in this country. I agree. The CBR is a landmark. And here's the other other thing that's going on. In addition to Elena and all the other LGBT out athletes uh, in the bubble, we've got the Connecticut Sun. The Connecticut Sun are coming off the almost victory against the Mystics last year in the finals. They came so close. Three games to two. Washington Mystics won the championship. And right now we've got um, a couple of great players who are down there. Alyssa Thomas, Jasmine Thomas, Dewana Bonner, Brian January, Brian uh, Jones, Bria Holmes. We're still not sure what they're going to do about John Quell Jones without all of their key players, without Lacia Clarendon. She's now with the Liberty. It's going to be very interesting to watch them play. And I had an opportunity, Carly, over the weekend to talk to Coach Kurt Miller, who, by the way, is the only out male gay coach in all of the major professional sports in the U.S. Can you believe that? I figured there was more than one, but he's the only one. And he's got a pretty good team this season, even with a lot of new faces there this year. I think they're still going to be in the hunt. We'll have the interview with Coach Kurt Miller right after this. You're in the Transporter Room. Welcome back to the Transporter Room with hosts Carly Chardonnay-Webb and me, Dawn Ennis. And now, my interview with Coach Kurt Miller from the Connecticut Sun in Bradenton, Florida. There are three things I want to talk to you about. One is where are the Sun right now in terms of getting ready for the shortened season? Second, how y'all dealing with this whole isolation, bubble, coronavirus pandemic thing? And third... Uh, what well, you and I have talked about before, about being a trailblazer and uh, an LGBT coaching. And you just tweeted about it the other day when you were talking about the, the sneakers you and I both share, the Be True sneakers, and uh, how it's, it's just so sad that you're still the only one. Yeah, really sad. Really sad. Why don't we start there? I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to get a, a, a personal perspective on what it's like to be all alone in your leadership role. Yeah, certainly, Don. Um, I once was uh, a coach, like many across the country, in a team sport and in, in basketball in general. That uh, wow, I got comfortable being out, and I had a longtime partner at the time, and we were raising children, and had enough success that I felt comfortable being out. I was still only out in my collegiate kind of bubble. Um, my administration with my coaching staff, with my players um, in the women's basketball bubble around the country, but really wasn't um, comfortable being uh, a trailblazer or someone that uh, was looked at as a role model. And, and I, I regretted it. I, there was years went by. And I knew I didn't have anyone when I was young looking up to um, as a role model. And so I, I've really come to a point in my life that I want to get back to that young generation, that young gay male that wants to chase a career in sports, be it a coach, be it an athlete, be it a, a front office uh, general manager. I just 
I want, I want to be able to give back to that next generation that I want people to chase their dreams and not fear uh, being gay or, or uh, it's happened to stay in the closet uh, for advancement. But this pandemic really has brought it to life, Don. Um, I've been reached out by so many in the profession, even um, a ton of men's coaches in the men's game at all levels um, that are still uncomfortable coming out. There's still a homophobic fear in the locker room. Uh, they worry as an assistant coach, would they let down their head coach? Could they recruit successfully? Um, and they look around and I'm one of only 774 jobs at the highest levels in both men's and women's basketball. I am the only gay male head coach. So I understand some of that fear, but it's time to be more vocal, um, visible, uh, having representation, visibility, I think is really, really important um, because there's still so many closeted men in the sport of men's basketball, women's basketball, that just fear advancement. They fear, is it really uh, a culture that they can be hired at? So uh, I'm trying to really be true myself, live authentically and, and have a visible presence for this next generation of coaches. Would you say that because there are so many out women coaches that it's specific to the male experience? You know, certainly uh, there's still an element, um, you know, this is one of the areas that I've been a little bit more outspoken to. If we really believe that we are champion of young women and we are empowering women um, as coaches in the women's basketball uh, landscape, then I think you should champion and, and empower them in all areas. And I would love for more legendary coaches in our game, legendary coaches in our game that are definitely a lesbian um, and maybe only out to their teams or like myself for a long time, they're a little collegiate bubble. If they would be uh, taking more of a leadership role, I know those decisions are very personal, but if we really want to stand up and say, we empower young women and we champion young women, then let's champion with all aspects. And I'd love to see more legends of the game uh, taking an active role of being out and proud and being role models for these young players. You've heard the uh, accusation that a player or a coach being out provides a distraction. Uh, would you address that? Because honestly, I would think the only distraction either on the court or in the locker room is losing. Yeah, yeah certainly uh, chemistry and uh, you know our team locker room approach, even in Connecticut, you, we believe you win in the locker room first. But you know, certainly in the sport of women's basketball, um, it is not a distraction. Um, there's a lot of strength in numbers and there's a lot of support in our community. And um, I don't see a distraction at all. And, and the WNBA is a forefront in a lot of social activism measures and really happy to be a part of a league that, you know, takes pride and, and has a pride month, but really celebrates that the entire season long. And, we just have some amazing women, you know, throughout this league with tremendous backgrounds in a variety of backgrounds. That phrase, the entire season long, is a little bit different in 2020. So you're talking to me from Florida, not exactly Connecticut, and it must be weird being in a bubble. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's an interesting environment, but unique. And it's been, a, you know, a great start for our team. Uh, the majority of our players are in the hotel. Um, when we arrived, we had a smooth 
check-in process. We've been COVID tested every single day. Um, you know, they've done a great job in preparations, the WNBA, for the health and safety of these players. And, you know, knock on wood, um, our bubble is holding true if, if, if we're keeping everybody safe. And we have to stay due diligent, even though we're testing every single day. And we are really, uh, there's a, a concerted effort to keep us separated from the general public and we can't leave. But there's freedom of movement on this, certainly on this campus. Um, you know, there's a lot of areas to move, but they're really trying to keep us um, separated as much as we can from anyone that's not currently in the bubble permanently and getting tested every day. Um, it's different, but it, it's fun being around all 140 athletes every day, the coaching staff, the camaraderie. We've tried not to, to uh, co-mingle yet. These, four, these first 14 days down here in the bubble are so important, but we're creeping towards uh, that July 20th, that July 21st time period when you're going to see it, it loosen up a little bit, that we're going to do more co-mingling between teams and coaching staffs. And so um, we, we will do everything we can to keep this safe, but you're going to start to see more co-mingling and not so much isolation with your team and your team only right now. I used to live in Tampa Bay in Clearwater and Bradenton uh, isn't far from Ybor City. There's so many wonderful things you could do if it weren't for the coronavirus. Um, I know you can't talk specifics about players, but two players have been reported to have tested positive. What's that whole testing process like and what can fans uh, learn from this? Yeah, so we started testing before we came to uh, Florida. We all had uh, three COVID tests one week, a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. One of our players tested positive on that first day on, on that Monday. Um, she was in protocol back in the state of Connecticut, got through a quarantine period, eventually had two negative tests, uh, finally turned negative. Back-to-back -back negative tests went through her cardiac testing that is required after having COVID and being tested positive for COVID and has recently um, arrived in the bubble. So one of our two positive test players uh, went through a long process and a you know, she was patient, but is healthy. She was asymptomatic. She never had a symptom. So we're happy to have her down in the bubble. Now again, in another quarantine period that's required by the league, but uh, she's getting closer and closer each day than joining us. So we're happy with one of our positive COVID players down here. We still have another one back in Arizona and uh, she's still going through the CDC guidelines and protocol and quarantine that's necessary in her case. Uh, and her situation was a little bit different. She uh, has had some symptoms, uh, but uh, we look forward to her getting healthy and eventually joining us here in the bubble. And, uh, you know, and, and we'll get her up to speed as, as soon as we know that she is completely recovered and healthy. Let's talk strategy. Coming off your year where you were this close to the championship, and congratulations on making it that far. What's the Connecticut Sun strategy for this year? Yes, yeah, certainly we need some name tags here early on in the season. Uh, we <laughs> went into last year with eight of our 12 players um, in the final year of their contract, and so we pushed our chips in. We knew uh, it was an opportunity to be special, but we knew our roster would not look the same in 2020 as it did in 2019. We almost paid off minutes away from a championship, very proud of the growth that we had had through the four years to get to the championship series, but came up a little short, uh, had a, a very productive offseason, uh, picked up the most you know, sought-after free agent 
in the offseason and Dewana Bonner. That's right. Uh, made, made some other trades, but certainly, um, and, you know, and new faces around the Connecticut Sun. Uh, one of our stars, John Quell Jones, decided to opt out. We were support, she's supported from the top. We've supported that decision, but that allowed us to bring in a couple other players. So right now we enter the season with 12 players, six of them new to the Connecticut Sun this year. So, um, you know, trying to get on, there's no substitute, trying to get on the court uh, to build new chemistry, um, build new chemistry on the court is invaluable. So, you know, we're about six practices into the year. We've been practicing with nine healthy bodies right now. So not even easy to go five on five, got to throw a coach in there and hopefully my coaches stay healthy. So I don't have to jump into these five on five games with our incredible players, but uh, like what I'm seeing, the team is uh, in better cardiovascular shape, better court conditioning than I thought, considering so many months had gone by with these players not on the court. So pleasantly surprised with our conditioning. Um, but again, new terminology for a lot of players, new schemes, new systems, even for the, the veterans that we've added to our roster. And then you have, you know, two rookies that are heads are spinning with so much new stuff. So we're having a lot of fun. Uh, we're trying to keep it light. As you've seen the videos, we're doing a lot of dancing. We're doing a lot of smiling. We're doing a lot of laughing. And at the same time, there's a lot of seriousness behind the scenes, a lot of teaching, a lot of film work. Um, and we're just trying our, our motto right now is get better every day. And before you know it, our games are going to start. So we've just got to continue to keep getting better every day. I've been very lucky to attend several games, including the last Mystics Sun game before the championship game at the uh, Mohegan Sun Arena. That crowd participation is an essential part of your success. What are you going to do without the crowds? Yeah, interesting. You know, we had the best home record in the league last year, and, and a huge part of that is our, our fan base, uh, educated fan base. They know when uh, we need them um, truly special, and we miss them. We're going to try to keep them engaged, and we know they're going to cheer us on through the national uh, TV opportunities and local broadcasts that our fan base isn't going to go away. They're going to continue to keep supporting us from afar, but one of the reasons we were so good at home was them, and we don't have them with us down here. It will be a unique environment. These players are incredibly um, competitive. So when the ball, you know, is tossed up, we're going to have competitive games. But it will be really, really different not having crowd in the background. Um, you know, I imagine a DJ is going to be pumping in some music, and there's <laughs> going to be, you know, artificial things provided for these guys. Um, for kind of an atmosphere, but it, it's certainly different than playing in front of our fan base of about 7,500 every night. So, um, you know, we love them, we're going to miss them, and we're going to try to do our best without them. And let me just end on this. Kurt, are you worried at all about your own personal safety? This has got to be a huge risk for you as well, just for your health. Yeah, you know, I, I, they're certainly uh, concerned about all the coaches. There's five coaches uh, out of the 12, five head coaches in our league that are over 60. Um, you know, I'm kind of in that middle range, but it, it's well documented. I had a stroke on the sideline in my early 40s. Uh, so I'm, you know, I know how stressed, how much pressure I put on myself. And um, so it's always a little, a little scary, but I'm proud of, uh, we, we take our temperatures multiple times a day. We have to fill out symptoms, uh, 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 symptoms 
We have to check our symptoms every single day. We're getting COVID testing every single day. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of thought that goes into trying to keep everyone safe, safe and healthy down here. So while I worry about it, I, I'm really happy with uh, what the WNBA has created in this bubble. Kurt Miller, thank you for beaming into the Transporter Room Outsports podcast. We wish you and the team all the best. Thanks, Don. I'm really grateful to the Sun for making Coach Kurt Miller available. This is our second chat. I talked with him on the court in the Mohegan Sun Arena last season. And uh, look how that ended up. They really came close. And I, I worry about all of them and their health. And I think that, you know, no matter what precautions they're taking, they're still taking a huge risk, Carly. Well, one thing I will say to the WNBA, of all the professional sports leagues, in my mind, they did the best planning for this. That I've I really feel that they've done, and one level, they're in the best place to make this work because they're a relatively smaller league. But also, I can tell they've put a lot of planning into this. For starters, getting securing IMG Academy was a big deal because they can really be a lot more self-contained than say than say the NBA who's just down the road can be. Um, or in the case of Major League Baseball, which I mean, I'll tell you the truth, they're they're really seriously rolling the dice on starting a season and they're still not together and they're within days of starting. Um the WNBA has done at least the most planning. I'm not sure if they should play or I'm not sure if they should play or not. My personal feeling is that is that sports should be taking a powder this year. But, I would cancel the whole darn thing. I would just say, see you in 2021. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I really think I really think the time of all sports leagues could be better served by saying, you know what? We're taking a bath on 2020, but let's plan for 2021. Let's put a let's put a we have enough time, more than enough time, to put a good plan in place to keep us as safe as we possibly can for a start of a season in 2021. I think that's a better move than trying to crash together a season 2020 just to say we had a 2020 season. But having said that, the WNBA for the most part has at least put some good put some good planning together. They seem to have their thing together. They are keeping to a testing schedule. They're keeping the wobble tight. I mean, even down, I mean, I know some people who work in the television personally who are working the television some of the television end of that and they're saying no, the bu- the wobble is airtight. Everything is running pretty much clockwork down there as far as who can come in, as far as ingress, egress, getting things in, getting things out. The one good thing is, again, they're on a they are on an area where it is small enough to where you can keep keep it tight, but big enough so that there is room for air. There is room to move. There is accommodations. You can at least have a modicum. You can have a modicum of success at the IMG Academy. Whereas some of these other leagues, like for example, Major League Baseball, they're actually going to they're actually going to try and have teams traveling during this. They're going to keep the travel <laughs> relatively down. They're going to do a lot of travel. The Toronto Blue Jays, who can't go back to Canada. <laughs> well, well, see, that's another thing. The the Blue Jays, as we go to air, I'm still not sure where they're going to play. They aren't either. No, they don't know. We don't. Uh, I mean, I've heard I've heard a site in I've heard their their spring training site in Florida. I've heard Buffalo, New York. But here we are, we're within days of first pitch and they don't still don't know where they're playing. I'm very excited about something that's coming next month to our DVRs and TVs. It's called Star Trek Lower Decks. It's the first animated comedy version of Star Trek, a brand new franchise 
There's been an animated series back in the 1970, ran for about two years or three. This one, though, is a comedy, and I've seen the trailer. Have you? I've seen the trailer. I like it. I am like, I'm hopeful for this. I'm like focusing it. on the ensigns, focusing on the guys and the girls who, and the non-binary folks who are, you know, working all the, doing all the work down below. Yeah, that's, and, and that is one of the things I do like about it. It is not, it's not dealing with, it's dealing with, it's dealing with the people who wear the red shirts. <laughs> well, we're excited to see this one. That's for sure. August 6th. We'll make sure we talk about it. Carly, this has been an exciting episode. I look forward to next week when we're welcoming a librarian <laughs> who's also a sci-fi author and an op-ed political columnist for ConnecticutNewsJunkie.com. Susan Bigelow joins us in the transporter room next week. I like her work, so I'm very interested in seeing what she has to say about a lot of different things. And plus... She's a hockey fan. Oh, she's a big hockey fan. She has season tickets to the Massachusetts uh, expansion hockey team. Well, I'll tell you what. Also, I know that. But one thing I do know, she's a hey, she's a Whalers fan. Oh yes, I know that much. So let's get the music ready. Let's make sure we have Brass Bonanza dust off for next week. Brass Bonanza. We'll have to put that in there. That's for sure. Well, Carly, warp speed ahead. All the best. Stay safe. Wear a mask. That's right. Everyone, please wear a mask. Wear one. Let's, you know, let's flatten this curve. Now's not the time for a surge. Let's, let's try and hold off the second wave if we can do it. Wear your mask, please. <laughs>